Welcome to Pocketry Presents, the podcast for emerging and aspiring poets. I'm Indrani Pereira, the founder of Pocketry, the home of unheard voices. I'm coming to you from the lands and waterways of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge that this is stolen land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. In this episode of Pocketry Presents, I'm interviewing an established poet about their creative process and their experience in editing poetry for journals. Joining me today from Jaja Wurrung country in Victoria is Andy Jackson. Andy Jackson is a poet and creative writing teacher and was awarded the inaugural Writing the Future of Health Fellowship. He has been shortlisted for the Kenneth Slesser Prize for Poetry, the John Bray Poetry Award and the Victorian Premier's Prize for Poetry. Andy has co-edited disability-themed issues of Southerly and Australian Poetry Journal and his latest poetry collection is Human Looking, which won the 2022 ALS Gold Medal. Welcome, Andy. I'm glad you can join me today. Oh, I'm really glad I can join you as well, Indrani. Thanks for inviting me. It's my pleasure. You've had such a long and varied career in the world of poetry and writing, and I thought I was just going to dive straight in and find out about your creative process. I'm very curious, and what I'm curious about is where you write and what tools you use when you write. Yeah, look, it's so interesting just to, to think of yeah, that I have been writing poetry for quite a while, probably 20 years at least, more than 20 years. And if I think about, you know, where I write and what tools I use, probably what's been consistent is that I usually start writing a poem with a journal and a pen. So paper, something tactile, you know, I'm sure there's a whole lot of theory about it, but I feel like it's somehow a more embodied way of beginning uh, once I've got all that kind of rough material, um, that's when I sit down and get the word processor out and start moving things around and changing everything that needs changing. Yeah, so that that's kind of my process. But I, in terms of the where, uh, anywhere and everywhere, literally. <laughs> um, I think probably earlier on, it was very much a case of, you know, carrying the journal around in the bag and uh pulling it out whenever, you know, I, I had an idea. I'm more likely probably now to set aside time and do some research and think about the topic rather than it just being about a kind of inspiration or, a you know, a sudden urge. It's probably more thoughtful now than it was before, yeah. Do you think it was time that led to that shift going from an impulse sort of the muse calling process mm into a more considered setting aside time research-based process? Yeah, yeah, it is actually. I think probably like most people, I think you, you don't consciously think, oh, I don't want to repeat myself. But there is something about the nature of writing, uh, particularly poetry, where you just kind of need to keep unsettling yourself and doing things differently. Um, you know, each poem has its own requirements. There's just something pleasurable about waking yourself up and doing it in a slightly different way. So it's partly that, but I also think probably I've become more consciously aware of wanting to connect with other people within the poems. So not just thinking, uh, what do I think about this or what, what's my experience been, but also how do I relate to other people who might I might have some affinity with or want to express solidarity with. So yeah, part of the process means, well, I can't just assume that I know. I actually have to go out and really dig into it uh, and do some research and some thinking. And 
So yeah, just expressing that kind of social element of poetry that it's not purely an individual thing. Yeah, you've got other people around you at the desk, you know. Mm, that's quite interesting because I, I feel that maybe when you start as a poet, it comes from within and it's very much self-expression. But perhaps as you progress in your writing, as you're saying, you start looking more broader, socially speaking. Yeah, yeah I think so. Although, you know, I, there's still for me a sense of always needing to connect with that sort of intangible impulse and that urge or that disquiet, the, the need to write that is very personal and is shaped by your own experience. That That's always there. But it's I, I guess it's what is added onto that or what complicates it. That's what I'm interested in, I think, going beyond it a bit more, yeah. So you've already said that you set aside time to write and I'm wondering, like, what time of day you write and if it's a seasonal thing as well, like, do you find yourself, I don't know, writing more in winter or summer? Mm. When I was thinking about my whole approach to writing, and I've thought this before, I, I think it's a seasonal thing, not literally but metaphorically. I think there are stages in my life and maybe in other writers' lives where there's a time where mostly what you're doing is perhaps getting up in the morning, getting a coffee, you know, your mind isn't too cluttered, so you sit down and you focus and you do, do some work. Uh, other times you need to be kind of floating around and just letting what, whatever happens happen. For me, I think what's probably happened is that, uh, yeah, I don't tend to have a particular time that I focus on. It's probably similar to this sense of where do I write. When I write really depends on a whole lot of factors, some of it purely economical. Like at the moment, I'm, I'm working, teaching poetry and creative writing. So the poetry, my own poetry has to fit in around that. And, you know, whenever there's a gap, okay, maybe I can do it then. Um, so it, it's, it's very practical. But I'll probably also say I think I don't, I'm, I'm not really a nighttime writer. I don't think I've ever written at night. Uh, it's daytime hours for me. And I, I think that's bodily, that's personal. Each person has their own kind of ability, you know, with a morning person, night person. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's varied through the whole of my life. It's been pretty consistent. And how often do you find yourself writing? Is it every day or week or month? Does it ebb and flow? Yeah, look, it's it's changed a lot. And again, it, there are seasons. So uh, yeah, there've been periods certainly where I've felt really productive when I've been, I've had a certain project in mind and I've had the space and the mental space and the economic space to be able to pursue it and going deeply into those poems and creating uh, all sorts of work. So they become really productive periods. And, you know, it's most days of the week when, when I'm doing that. And that was certainly the case for the last book I put out, Human Looking. I spent probably three, three or four years writing a poem probably once a week at least. And it was just, it was busy, you know, and it was exhausting, but wonderful as well. It meant I could come out with all sorts of things that I wouldn't have expected because I gave myself, well, I was given that ability to, to work on it so strongly. After that project, sort of around 2020 or 2019, around that time, there was a lot of stuff going on in my own life. Uh, my mother died as well. And then we had COVID. So I wrote hardly anything after that. Uh, I've really just sort of pulled back and have hardly written anything at all. Mostly what I've written have been commissioned work. So if someone has approached me 
and wanted a poem, I've written it. Or collaborative work, perhaps, where I'm writing with someone else. So there's a kind of accountability to write something. But apart from that, I've kind of pulled back from regular writing of poetry. And that's okay, too. I think, again, it's seasons. And yeah, it really varies. So again, it's sometimes it's a deadline. Sometimes it's just you're in a zone and you're going and going and it's productive. Other times it doesn't happen so much and that's all right, you know. Yeah, I think that's how it's meant to be. Quite interesting because as you were speaking, there were two distinct things that you were talking about. One was that prodigious output that you had, 150 poems, like one a week. That's huge. And then a period of like when you were a fellow and all this other stuff was happening and that you weren't writing almost like a counterbalance or something you know yeah 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 and I think you know we're not machines we can't keep producing and producing regularly doing this same thing over and over we're yeah we're animals we're organic things we're affected by our environment and what happens to us and so I'm really aware that I've, I've had some some good fortune and I've been able to get some grants and some funding that have helped me carve out some time to do that work. And so that's been really fortunate. And yeah, so there have been some really busy, productive times, which has been wonderful. But that also means it's, it's a bit easier, perhaps, when it's not happening so much to feel okay about it because it's like, all right, okay, well, there's, I've got this stuff to show for it. I don't have to worry too much about continuing the work, you know. When you said you wrote, um, had that period of time when you wrote all those poems one a week, did they all end up in your book or do you have others that you did other things with? I would say probably half of them at least. Well, yeah, about half of them didn't, I didn't even end up finishing them, you know, Uh, not satisfactorily. I probably finished about 80 poems that I could say that I'm happy with. And from those 80, I then further reduced it back down to about 50 or so, 50, maybe 60 that ended up in the book. So that's probably fairly typical as well. You know, I I don't publish everything I write because a lot of what I write is just, it's there as an exercise and an attempt that didn't work. And that's, uh, then it can be shelved and put away. And you think, I might go back to that. And you never do. So um, yeah, no, no, I I certainly am very happy to, to have a kind of incomplete poems and to let them go if they're not working. Yeah, they often don't. How do you know if they're not working? Oh, look, it's so it's so hard to know um, or to express what that knowledge is. So often, I think most poets will know this, you, you can pick up your own work and look at it and think, oh, it's terrible. And then a day later, a week later, you pick it up again and go, actually, there's something there. There's, there might be something there. And so you work on it. Uh, I think what probably happens for me is that, you know, if I keep coming back to it and I keep feeling like there's nothing there or it's not really happening, then there probably isn't anything happening uh, or not enough happening anyway. Or there can be a, sometimes a, a really what feels like a rich idea or an opening that feels like something's happening, but then I actually don't know where to take it. And, you know, you can keep bashing away at it and uh, trying different angles and sometimes you make some breakthrough, but I think there's a point at which you think, well, actually, if it's not happening, you know, I don't want to keep straining because it's not necessarily going to be the sort of poem that will feel like it belongs in the world. It's going to feel a bit forced. So I've become more and more able to just sort of let go with these things and just look at them, keep looking at them again, 
make sure I'm not just being, you know, self-deprecating. Look at it in different times and different moods, but eventually, yeah, feel free to let it go. That's, that's kind of what I like to do. I think it's interesting that you're saying um, that you let them go and you realise that the impulse isn't being conveyed and so you need to not keep going with the poem. And I wonder if you feel that poetry and poems have an impulse that you're trying to express and that you need to honour? Yeah, for me they do. Um, it's hard to speak for everyone because I think poetry is so diverse and there are people doing so, so many different things and for different reasons. But for me, yeah, there is some, it's hard to describe, but I think part of it is this uh, feeling or memory or experience or sensation that is about how I fit in the world, how I might connect with others, um, a question around belonging or a question around relationship or meaning. And if I know what that feeling is or if I can put words to it, then I probably don't need to write the poem. It's, it's so, you know, amorphous and complex that it leads you to kind of trying to articulate it. And, of course, when you do articulate it or you try, you find things you didn't expect and you might go off on a tangent and you might hit dead ends and, and that's all part of it and that gets stitched into the whole poem. Uh, so I, I do think it's about some impulse, uh, some question, some need, uh, but n- never a totally isolated one. It is always about the boundary between myself and the world yeah, and how I, how we connect, how we relate, how we think about uh, what's happening in the world as well. So for you, what's driving your poetry is that that connection and how you're fitting into the world. Yeah, completely. I, I, I have told people in the past, and I think this is still true, that I really started writing poetry because I grew up with a, a visible difference. I grew up with uh, scoliosis, with severe scoliosis, and what that meant for me is being noticeable by others and being stared at and perhaps having assumptions made about my experience and who I am. And so through that, I think that makes you, well, on the one hand, it makes you quite self-conscious, but it also makes you question why those things happen in general. You know, why does it happen to not just me, but to other people for other reasons too? So you, you start thinking about otherness, you start thinking about marginality, uh, you start thinking about visual culture, violence, uh, you start thinking about, yeah, empathy, all those sort of things just come up naturally. And I think I probably wanted to be a poet. Well, no, I can't say that. I didn't. I never wanted to be a poet. I became a poet, I think, because I wanted to write and I wanted to explore those things. I wanted to self in, in those things. Uh, and that's still the case now, I think. I'm still, you know, uh, exploring that territory, walking around through the undergrowth and, yeah, trying to find a path. Mm. There's also that path behind you of where you've come from. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, you know, occasionally I think, oh, I'm still doing this kind of poetry, but of course I am, you know, and because every you're still the same person on some level and as you keep going down that path, as you say, to keep going with that metaphor, the vision is different. So you look back and it's a different scene. Uh, so you understand the past differently, you understand the future differently and, and yourself differently and you think about other people in a different way. So it, it's always evolving and there's always more to understand, partly too because the poems never quite 
are enough. You know, they're never perfect. They never quite get to what you think you want to get at. And so it's partly chasing, uh, chasing that intangible, imperfect poem that is just around the corner. Quite an exciting way to look at it as well, that your perspective is changing and things around you are changing as a result. So in a sense, it's sort of different or new and that allows you to keep revisiting the territory. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And probably, you know, if I think back to that last book too, in in Human Looking, because I had a real sense of a sort of cluster of ideas and things, experiences that I wanted to go into, I sort of had that on my radar. And so whenever I was reading something or just out in the world, a topic would come across my attention and it would be that would trigger a thought for a poem. And the more you'd be writing, the more you'd think about other things that you could write into uh, and also other forms that you could write into too. And you start thinking about the way that the poem takes shape and how the shape relates to the content. And it, sometimes those things have real momentum that the more you think about it, the more angles there are and the more possibilities there are. Wondering how you write the poems, like the actual physical act of writing. Uh, so are they coming to you or do you write them down? Like, Are they dot points or sentences, fragments, prose? Yeah. Yeah, I think my poems are very often about voice. So I'm, I'm really interested in intimate poetry and so I think a lot of my poems are about phrases that might come from a spoken voice. And so... Yeah, they're sentences or fragments. They probably earlier on were more like a whole piece that would come uh, or I would try to make a whole piece. But now I'm more likely to write in fragments and kind of stitch them together and then find little bits to, you know, uh, to fill in the gaps and uh, sort of Frankenstein them together somehow. So that's a little bit more the way I work now. Um, I'd probably spend more time uh, in the word processor than I would have done in my earlier years. So that shifted a little bit, but it has to still feel like a whole piece, you know. It still, uh, still comes together as, an, as a whole, yeah. So when you're writing your poems, are you writing them all in one go, these fragments that you stitch together, or would you leave them for a couple of days, come back to them? No, I, I, I don't think I've ever written a poem in one go. I, I think I, I really enjoy the, the editing process or the the rewriting or the coming at different angles, you know, so that, uh, yeah, it, it can take days, it can take weeks, uh, months sometimes <laughs> to finish a poem. So I, I do have a, a number of goes at it. Less than I used to, much less than I used to. I'm, I'm happier now for them to be imperfect um, and to just let them be uh, as good as they'll be, you know, and that's enough. But, yeah, I still enjoy coming at it multiple times and, so you really enjoy the editing process and revising them until you get them to that imperfect state? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably used to be maybe 20 versions or something a while ago. It's more like half a dozen now. But that's still, you know, opening up the file, having a look at it, moving things around, trying again the next day and the next day. Yeah, there's, there's tinkering and I, I love tinkering. You know, I think for most of us, we love language, we love punctuation we love the white space of the page so yeah always pleasurable yeah with that white space of the page I think that goes nicely into my next question which is does that white blank page ever intimidate and lead to writer's block and if uh, so, how do you deal with it 
Yeah, look, I think I, I'm not sure about the idea of writer's block too. I know people experience something that they call writer's block and it's incredibly debilitating and distressing. I, I don't think I've, well, I've probably had a similar experiences like that. I don't necessarily call it writer's block. Uh, for me, if the page, if the empty space is, if I don't know what to do with it, there's nothing that is coming, then it's time to do something else. You know, it's time to uh, go for a walk or vacuum the house or, you know, uh, go and meet up with a friend or read a book. Sometimes that need to go and do other things can last for quite a while. Um, like I said before, I feel like probably, I mean, if no one had come to me in the last couple of years and said, do you have a poem? I might not have written anything or hardly anything. And I might have called it writer's block. But I also think on some level, when your world is destabilized, you know, when you're dealing with grief or with uncertainty, it's actually understandable to not be writing. I don't think it's necessarily a fuel or, oh, well, you've got a lot to write about because you've got all this stuff happening. It's like, no, no, not necessarily. Um, I think writing requires, yeah, sure, a bit of discomfort, but uh, distress, that doesn't necessarily help. Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit of enough stability for you to be able to sit down and know what you're doing and know that it's worth doing. So, yeah, in recent years, I haven't written so much, but, yeah, that's okay. It's understandable. It's, it sounds like when you get stuck, it's movement, you know, that is helpful and also realising that you don't always have to be writing. No, that's right. I always feel, I don't know who gave me this idea, but I feel like, you know, if you're a poet or a writer, you'll do it at some point. And, and really what the, there is so much that is also part of the writing. Uh, living is, is part of the writing. And even just the idea of it, actually even thinking of it as part of the writing isn't necessarily right either because it's life. You know, you, you live your life and poetry will come out of it. You don't even need to think about it being, uh, oh, how am I going to exploit this? Or <laughs> you just have to live your life and experience deeply if you can and go through what you need to go through. And that to me is, the, is what helps, I think, this awareness that there is more important things to experience and to take on so yeah I, I don't always write and that's as it should be you know I don't want to neglect the rest of my life as well mm, yeah having that balance between creative and I don't know vacuuming the house as you said before <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you know balance is the word I know it, it's sort of an overused word but it is important it's, it's that sense of uh, not balance as in calculating it but just letting things be as they should be that's what I prefer anyway. And that's what I say to myself. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes it just feels horrible not writing. Um, but even that feeling of, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable, that itself can produce work as well. You mentioned earlier about having work commissioned and that was when you have been writing in recent years. And I'm quite intrigued by the process of being commissioned to write a poem. I have no idea what that looks like and who might commission you to write poetry, but I'm assuming you get paid and that's quite an exciting idea. Yeah, usually. I mean, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's a matter of someone saying, hey, we've got this project and we'd love you to do it. We don't know if anything's going to come out of it, but what do you reckon? And yeah, most of the time, I don't always, I mean, I don't always say yes, but if the project interests me, absolutely. I really wouldn't have thought this would be something that would happen so much. 
doesn't happen a lot, but uh, yeah, in the last sort of five years or so, there's been quite a few requests for poems. And yeah, probably 10, 20 years ago, I would think, really, why would someone approach me? Uh, but now it, it, it does happen now and then. So it's partly kind of, oh, that's interesting. Oh, thanks. Yeah, quite a, a boost. But it's, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting process because it then becomes a case of trying to meet in the middle. So there is often an idea or a, a topic or a reason for them that they, they want a particular kind of thing. So you're then having to work out, well, can I do that? Is that something I can do? And if I can do it, then what aspect of that can I you know, climb into? Where's the, where's the door of the house uh, or the window or the, you know, how do I get in there? And what do I do? So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting process. Absolutely. Do you find it's like a constraint, like um, a form, like a sonnet or something would be for writing a poem, having a commission? Yeah, it it can be for sure. And, you know, it can be a, I was involved in an anthology a couple of years ago with recent work press where they had, oh, I can't remember the numbers. I think there were 10 of us all writing on different words and abstractions they called it so everyone had to write a poem on a particular word and so you don't always have an intuitive instant connection with a word you just think oh what am I going to do with that so you it does force you to really think and feel and wonder and imagine and make do things that you wouldn't normally do which is it is parallel to form when you're working with form it pushes you to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do it forces sort of creative choices that you may not normally make but it's even going back one step further like I think with form I think when I'm writing often a form will suggest itself after I've started writing I'll start thinking oh this might be pantoum or this might be sestina or something else and you start leaning into it but with a commission it's right from the start it's okay you're gonna write something um oh well for example the the other one that comes to mind is during the lockdowns in melbourne there were uh, melbourne city of literature got a poet every week to write a poem in response to what was happening that week and we didn't know when we were going to be asked to do it they just said you're going to get asked sometime in the next couple of months and so you had to respond to whatever was happening in the world in that week. And so that was a kind of time constraint, but a, a subject constraint as well. And yeah, you, you're immediately having to kind of think on your feet and not get too precious about it either. You, you know, you have to kind of go, well, I don't have that impulse, but um, I have to do it or I have to find something. I have to, you know, rummage around inside myself or in the world and find some way to to start uh, so it's yeah stimulating and challenging at the same time it sounds just maybe slightly terrifying also <laughs> yeah it can be actually yeah yeah because there's a I think usually when when I'm writing I mean it's poetry so it's never going to have a, a stadium audience so there's always the stakes are pretty low anyway but when I'm writing I know that potentially it's not going to go anywhere so you're sort of relaxed a bit and there's a bit of freedom in doing that but when there's commission, there's a sense of, oh, they're expecting something and they're expecting something in a certain time frame too. The other part of my brain says, well, they asked you because they trust you and they're unlikely to say, oh, that's not good enough. But there is always a part of you thinking, oh, 
is it good enough? Can I do this? Uh, yeah, so it's it's terrifying, but um, that too is is useful. Sure. That goes into the work, I think. It's a fuel. It's all fuel. Have you ever had something you've written for a commission being rejected? Oh, no, I don't think so. No, um, not from memory. No, no, I don't think I have. I, there's certainly been ones that I've been more happy with myself that I might not necessarily have wanted to, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have published them myself or have felt a bit ambivalent about them. But they've always been, I've always been happy enough for them to get out there. And, you know, there's always a degree of difference in terms of how passionate I feel towards them. Mm. But yeah, I haven't had anything knocked back. Because usually it's, that's in the nature of the idea that they want, you know, this group of poets together to do it. So it's, they're usually kind of ready to move with us. And sometimes it's a matter of they'll ask for a couple of poems and they'll select one or that sort of thing can happen too. And is it very much the sort of thing where people approach you when you want to be commissioned? Is that how the whole process works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, absolutely. So I've probably never asked about it. Uh, I've always been asked and it's always a bit of a surprise, always still a surprise, you know, (laughs) even though it's happened a few times now. But, you know, I I understand it. I think we're going to talk about this, but I've done some editing work and I think that's part of that sort of, I understand why someone would do it because you've got a publication coming out or an issue of a journal and you want certain people and you want a range of people. So, you know, you look around and you think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll select these ones. So I, I kind of know where that impulse comes from. So for all those emerging poets out there, just keep working and keep getting your name out there and maybe one day you'll get commissioned. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Look, I think it's always a bit of a paradox, I think, for, for emerging poets and for any poets. Uh, I always feel like you don't necessarily want to think about how to succeed or how to get yourself known or because that stuff will happen if you're fully immersed in what you're doing and if you're being yourself and doing your original thing and taking on the influences that that make sense to you and changing and developing and just, yeah, as we were saying before, you live your life and poetry comes out of it somehow. Uh, Yeah, the more you think about the publishing side of it, I think it could sometimes get in the way of, yeah, doing the work you need to do. Because you start thinking about, you know, how do I get into that journal? Or they, they rejected it. Maybe I should change it so that they'll accept it. And it hardly ever works like that anyway. So I think the best bet is to, to write and write and write and read and read and read and live your life as, you know, with as much openness as you can. And what will happen will happen. You get published, fantastic. If you don't, then maybe you self-publish or you just keep trying. That sounds like good advice. Um, following on from that, I'm wondering, would you recommend if you've written something, re- sending it to a different publication if you passionately feel there's something in that poem, you know, that you feel that it has a home somewhere? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I think there's a. it's really easy for us poets to feel disheartened when we get a rejection, when a journal says, no, I don't think so, uh, because... Part of us thinks, oh, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, maybe it's not any good. And do I know what I'm doing? And all those horrible questions come up. So my strategy usually is to, as soon as something comes back, to think where else it could go, to send it out again, not let it hang around too much. Maybe have a a look at it just to check if there's anything I feel might be, you know, might need work. But mostly I just think, you know, I've I've probably put enough work into it. Just send it out again and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Because we know that, 
sometimes it's not necessarily about the problem with the poem. Sometimes you have sent it to the wrong place or they just got plenty of poems that were like that, you know, at that time. So they, they didn't want another one. So, yeah, I, I think it's too easy to kind of think there's something wrong with it. It's, poetry is such a huge, diverse field that sometimes it is about trying to find the right editor who might see something in it. Yeah, keep going, I think, the advice. That's very yeah. good advice because, as you say, it is, it's very easy to get disheartened and hard to keep going in the face of rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I probably also think there's, there's, to use a season's word again, I think there are seasons for just writing. You know, I've certainly done that where I've just gone, well, I'm not going to send work out because I don't want that constant to and fro about acceptance, rejection, where do I send it, all that stuff. I, I don't mind the idea of just having periods where all I'm doing is writing and just building up enough poems so that I've then got enough to select from to send work out. So, yeah, I, I, that. That I would recommend that to the people that sometimes it's good to just leave that and not be thinking too much about where a poem is going to go. Yeah. You talked, touched on briefly earlier about editing journals, which is going to be this second part of the interview. And I was wanting to start by asking which journals you've guessed edited and how you got the opportunity to edit those journals. I've had two major opportunities. Uh, the first was with Southerly. That was in 2016. That came about from invitation. So David Brooks was the main editor at the time. And for years, apparently, uh, he had been thinking, oh, one day I should do an issue of Southerly on disability. And for many personal reasons, he had sort of put it off and put it off and, you know, had some ambivalence about the whole category and how he fits inside that. So, yeah, I think at some point it just reached across the threshold and he felt that now was the time and he'd seen some of my work around and thought he'd approach me and maybe we could do it together. Uh, I think it, and that made sense to me for many reasons, partly because, uh, you know, when you're co-editing, it's a real kind of, uh, it's a collaboration. You're not limited to your own aesthetics or politics or preferences or doubts or uncertainties. You're, you're allowed to kind of move around a bit. And so that, that made sense that he asked me to do that. It was a huge honour too. I've long admired his poetry. So a really interesting process to do that. So that was 2016. And then in uh, a couple of years after that, I have to remind myself what year it was. Uh, I think it was 2019, the end of 2019. Uh, yes, it was. We were asked to co-edit the Australian Poetry Journal. Um, and again, uh, that was an invitation from the CEO of Australian Poetry to Central Plastria. And she, yeah, she commissions editors. So each issue of the journal, she would choose two people to co-edit the journal. And again, had a feeling that it was time that the issue, the journal, take on disability as a as an aesthetic value. Well, like um, as a theme, but you know, thinking about it in terms of, well, you know, maybe there's actually some something unique that disabled people bring to poetics and mm -hmm. to voice and to imagery and poetry in general. So. She was very keen to get that issue happening, which was wonderful. And so she invited myself and another poet who I really respect a lot, Jennifer Harrison. Yeah, so she's had a lot of experience in the mental health field, uh, but also is aware of what she 
doesn't know as well, which was wonderful. And we were both sort of quite conscious about what we didn't know, which was the beautiful thing about going through that process. It's not about you. It's about whose voices are you going to bring into the conversation and how do they converse with each other and how does the whole thing look? Yeah, just a, a, a really fascinating experience. Incredibly hard work. Yeah, lots of work and just as much sort of disappointment as there is pleasure. Probably on balance more pleasure, but yeah, it's not easy either. I'm interested to know about the process that you went through with the co-editor to choose the poems to include and, you know, which voices that you were going to feature in those issues. Yeah, with both of those, um, there was an open call out. So for both the Southerly and Australian Poetry Journal, we co-wrote a couple of paragraphs that described what we were after trying to write it as broadly as possible so that we were inviting as many people as possible in, or at least giving a sense that they were welcome. Um, so that was important to us. But it was, of course, shaped by what we were, you know, the, the tone of our voice, the sense of uh, ideas that we were having. And we sort of signaled some things about kind of what we didn't want. And so we, we did give people a sense of, um, yeah, the sort of work that we were after. For both issues, actually, I think more for Australian Poetry Journal, we did not so much with Southerly, but definitely with Australian Poetry Journal, we had particular people that we sought out and specifically went to them. And not exactly a commission, but more like an invited, we really, really want you to submit. So could you send us some work? Um, no guarantee, but you know, we'd, we'd love to have you, that kind of thing. So there was a portion of the journal that was dedicated to people we were sure that we wanted published, but we definitely wanted an open call because we know that there are plenty of people out there that I have not heard of, that I would not be able to contact, that are most likely going to have really brilliant work. And that's important to to publish the emerging poets and the unknown poets and the amateurs. And yeah, that's important to us. That's very reassuring to hear for all the emerging poets. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if the process that you use to select your poems if that was something that you agreed on with the co-editor or was it set with a journal were there some kind of like parameters you know I don't know how journals mm. work on this kind of scale literary journal do they have a certain not so much you know how you have a style guide if you're writing yeah, mm. yeah. the only real constraints are mostly to do with length so uh, because both of those are print journals there's a certain sense of okay well we've got probably about this many pages to deal with so if you're going to include poets then you know eventually you're going to run out of space and occasionally there might have been a fantastic poem that's like six pages long you think well I don't know if like we can really put this one in uh, because it's going to crowd out some others so there's a bit of a balancing act in that sort of scenario so yeah it's, it's physical space that you're constrained by and Slightly related to that, I suppose, is this, with Southerly anyway, there was always meant to be a kind of balance between different genres. So you have poetry, you have short story, you have essay. Um, so there was always going to be a mix. And so you'd be trying to keep that balance in there as well. But apart from that, we're really just going on our own instinct, um, our own sense of what we wanted and what we didn't want and the diversity that we were after too so that uh, the whole issue didn't sort of lean towards one kind of voice or one kind of politics. You know, there were even potentially kind of implicit little arguments between poems too. So that made it a lot more interesting, I think. For both those editions, we were 
keen to kind of make sure that, yeah, the voices of disabled people themselves were prioritised and we, people weren't speaking on behalf of others. Uh, so that, that was an important thing. Um, we did leave space for those who are very close to someone with disability and where there was some respectful presence of the other inside that column. But yeah, again, it was it was never hard and fast. It was always looking at each poem and seeing where it fitted in to the whole thing. So yeah, hard work, but I just it was really fascinating. I don't know if you've just covered this, so feel free to skip over the question. But what were you looking for in the poems that you were reading? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's such a good question. I think apart from that sense of diversity, you know, in, in terms of each particular poem, whether it would stand out and ask to be considered or demand to be considered. It was something about, um, like, I, I always conceptualise it as there's some, something at stake, you know, there's something that some risk that is being taken or some something important that's being explored or expressed. It may be something that you can't necessarily even articulate or understand yourself, but you, you just know that there's something happening there. And some even some sense that the poet is doing something that might even be a little bit out of their control, you know, that it's got some wildness to it that, I mean, it might be totally composed and very austere, but it still has something, yeah, there's some richness or depth to it, even when it's apparently straightforward. It's so hard to describe, but I just think there's uh, the other side of that coin, I suppose, is, yeah, what poems we pushed aside were ones that where someone was probably felt like they were in a safe zone and they were going through the motions or they were trying too hard and you know were really straining yeah there's something in that distinction for me that that's sort of what why we kept returning to poems again let's have another look at this one I think there's something in this so it's in that territory I think so be wild yet restrained <laughs> take a <laughs> look for a reward not yeah. quite sure how to sum it up is it is it kind of yeah. along the lines of you're not really sure what you're looking for but you know what it is when you find it i think yeah there's something like that yeah probably two things i want to add one of them is there are plenty of times where my co-editor would say i really like this and i was thinking oh i i didn't i wasn't sure about that so i'd have another look and I would then, you know, and sometimes we would disagree and, you know, we wouldn't publish it. But often you would look again and think, actually, yeah, you're right. There's something going on here. So it was really useful to have those two editors. So it, it meant that you weren't locked inside your own aesthetic too much. So that really helped. But, yeah, I, I think overall it was one of us or both of us going, what this person is saying is important to them. And they're saying it in a way that grabs my attention. So it's like you say, it, you know it when you, you find it. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say in advance really what, what we're after. Probably the only other frame for, for those issues was because they were themed. You know, we, we wanted to have a range of people. So it was a case of going, oh, this issue looking like it's heading. Uh, there's, maybe there's too much stuff on mental illness. Maybe we need to find some more about other issues and other experiences. So that was a, a factor. And that's always going to be a factor, I think, for, um, for journals. Maybe some journals probably in the last year or so have gotten lots of COVID poems and they only wanted to publish one or two. So, yeah, it's partly dependent on what comes in. 
the last question I'd like to ask you is, have you got any tips on submitting to journals for aspiring poets? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, well, first of all, definitely don't submit to a journal that you haven't read. Um, really know the journal. If you like the poetry that they publish, probably worth submitting to them. I would hesitate to submit work to a place that you don't read or that you read and you don't like their work. Chances are they might not connect with yours. Uh, we often think, well, I've got to submit to whatever, Mianjin, Over Overland, you know, we, oh, I've got to submit to them. But, you know, do you have to? Um, I think it's about finding your, the place that's right for your own work. The other thing I would say too is that it's easy to say, but don't try too hard to, oh, they'll like this one. This is the sort of stuff they publish. Here it is. Because I would say most of the time, uh, or at least half the time, the poems of mine that are published are often the ones that I don't expect will be published. You know, I might send three poems in and two of them I'm really keen on. And the third one, I think oh, I'll just throw that in just in case. And that's the one that they pick up. So you can easily second guess yourself and try to kind of, you know, calculate what's going to work. But it, it, it doesn't work like that. Editors are probably more open-minded than you imagine. They've probably got wider tastes than you, than you think, which sounds like I've contradicted my first point. But um, yeah, I, I think don't think about it too much and send it out. And again, if it comes back, send it somewhere else. Don't take it personally. Uh, someone I knew once said you, you kind of have to build up some calluses, uh, you know, just to become a little bit hardened and go, well, it, it doesn't matter too much if they say no. There'll be another opportunity elsewhere. It's a, it's a good reminder. There are so many poetry journals out there in print and online that, you know, you can find a home somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there really are. And, and there are some fantastic journals and a lot of fantastic poetry being published. So, yeah, read and read and read. There's just so much out there that does kind of open your mind and will probably transform your own work as well. So that's my tip to others as well. Read and read. That's a great tip, Andy, and thank you so much for joining me and sharing your creative process and your experience in editing for journals. It was good, really good to hear your insights and knowledge. Thanks, Indrana. It's been a real pleasure. Um, just felt like such a casual conversation, so it's beautiful. Thank you. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to read some more of Andy Jackson's poetry, you can check out his latest book, Human Looking, published by Giramondo in 2021, or check out his website, www.amongtheregulars.com. And of course, to find out more about Pocketry, the home of unheard voices, visit www.pocketry.com.au and happy writing. <laughs>